The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Number two of the Lent experience. I hope your first challenge of fasting went well and you found it to be beneficial. I want to remind all of us that the goal of Lent is to focus on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. This is all headed somewhere, namely the cross and the empty tomb. Now, sometimes our own expectations are what get in the way the most. So I want to offer some perspective as we jump into week number two. Don't put artificial pressure for any one of the challenges to be a super spiritual mountaintop experience, cascading angels and beams of light. Uh, On the flip side, you, you might be surprised at how impactful or emotional any given moment might be for you. The Bible tells us that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So I fully expect that as you seek God by participating in the Lent experience, that God is going to reward you. I I just don't know how. And either do you. He's going to give you exactly what you need. It may be in a moment, it may be the overall experience, or He may string together some thoughts over the course of the weeks and you have a big aha moment on Easter Sunday. I don't know. I just want to encourage you to stay engaged. Our part is to diligently seek Him. His part is to be the rewarder. And He's got a pretty good track record of that, so I'm excited for you. When I first created the Lent experience, I I thought for sure that fasting was going to be the hardest challenge for people. I I wasn't especially easy on people in that first year. The, The bar was set pretty high. But even though we fasted for a significant amount of time, Fasting wasn't the spiritual discipline that people found the most difficult. What's harder than being hungry on purpose? It was the discipline of silence and solitude. And that's this week's challenge. Fasting is the discipline of going without food for spiritual purposes. Silence and solitude is the discipline of not speaking and withdrawing from people for spiritual purposes. They're like peanut butter and jelly. They go great together. The challenge this week is going to be completely silent and in private, no people around or in sight, for one hour. I worked with students for the first 20 years of my ministry, uh, and kids and students and family are still a passion of mine. And over the course of 20 years, I've read a lot of stuff about generations. We love to label them, you know, boomers and Gen Xers and millennials, Gen Z. Well, I've come up with my own name in my house for the next generation, my kids. I call them two screeners. One screen is not enough. There are currently six people living in my house, and at any given moment, it's not an exaggeration to say that 14 screens are on. But I don't just think it's an age thing anymore. I think it's a technology thing. My wife got a new tablet, and now she's a two screener. What do I mean? She sits down to watch TV, turns on the screen, finds a show, then opens her tablet on her lap and does whatever she does on the tablet while she's watching a show on TV. Oh, and her smartphone is sitting right there on the coffee table in case someone texts or calls. Oh, and our smartphones are Bluetooth connected to the house phone, so whenever someone calls or texts, it tells us verbally all over the house, not to mention the music coming from each bedroom in the house. Uh, When I get in my car to drive home from work, sports talk radio is on. How do I fall asleep? I have earbuds in and I listen to stand-up comedy. Why? Because if I just lay there, I end up thinking about stuff and I don't fall asleep as fast. God forbid I should actually think about something, right? 
and that's the point. While I was writing the content for this video, a notification popped up on my iPad. I immediately stopped writing to see what it was. Then I thought, ooh, I should turn on my ESPN app and watch a game while I continue to write. Noise, 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 distraction, 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 sound everywhere, people everywhere. When do we ever slow down? Slow down enough to just think, to jot down our thoughts, to pray, to listen to God. I think we are all likely at least a little suspicious that we're letting the more meaningful parts of life slip by while we're constantly bombarded with noise and images and people. So this week's challenge is to be silent and alone for one hour. This may take some planning. Starbucks doesn't work. There's people in conversation there. Find a place where you'll be completely away from people. I'd suggest finding a place where you can't even see another person. We're gonna get away from human voices. So we just might be able to hear the voice of our Heavenly Father. And we're gonna get away from distraction so we can focus on God. What do you do? Be alone for one hour. Be silent for one hour. There are some tips and perspective in your participant journal that may help you plan your hour. Goodbye, noise and crowds. Hello, silence and solitude. Well, good morning. My name is Terry, and um, so glad uh, to be able to share the word with us this morning, especially on this theme of silence and solitude. So God has an appointment with you this week, and I hope you can keep it, and I hope that you give shape to it, and that by the end of this sermon, maybe God will show you the agenda for that appointment that he has with you in silence and solitude this week. I'm just coming off of two weeks of vacation, and God gave me the luxury of uh, being able to walk every morning and just have some time alone with him. And I observed lots of silence and solitude, but in the midst of that, I want you to know that he also gave shape to this sermon. So what you're gonna hear this morning is largely uh, the stuff that God gave me to share as I reflected on this theme of what silence and solitude have been for me in my life. And I want to say that as we launch into another uh, week of un understanding and, and observing Lent, that uh, we do this absolutely voluntarily, that there is no right or wrong in this. Our goal is that we would have a listening heart as we slow our lives down, as we think about what's coming in a few weeks when we come to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And that rather than letting that weekend, just that holy week, just pass us by so quickly, that we would be able to prepare ourselves in a posture of quiet and listening so that we might focus on the one who gives us all the meaning of life, though we don't think of it every day. The one who gives us all the meaning in our lives, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And especially as we ponder and reflect upon the incredible supreme sacrifice of his death on the cross and of his resurrection from the grave and of our hope eternal because of that. That's where we're going, folks. That's what this is all about. And I trust that you'll see the purpose of the theme this week in quietness and solitude and silence. 
Now, I recognize that as I address this theme that I'm not speaking to one homogeneous unit, one group of people that are all alike. For some of you, silence and solitude is way too much of your life. You live alone, and you might have all kinds of that time in your life. And so the the challenge for you will be to give focus and purpose in an extraordinary way to your time with God. Others of you, maybe parents with young children, you're just thinking like, oh, give me some silence and solitude. That's like golden moments. And I trust that God will give you the chance to find that even this week. And of course, every one of us hopefully has this opportunity in our daily quiet time with God to give shape to that in a certain way. And in fact, the biggest enemy to our daily quiet time is, is, uh, is not so much even the routineness of it, the, the fact that it becomes reduced to a monotonous thing that we check off the list. We've read our devotional, we've did our prayer, or whatever it is. The biggest enemy is not that as much as it is the distractions of other voices, other noise that actually crowds out our minds and our thinking. And so it it impedes our intimacy with God. The biggest enemy is this idea of turning off the noise and of learning to listen to God's still, small voice. They're voices that bombard us every day. They're internal voices. There are our external voices, and they, they, they cause a confusion of God's still, small voice that is actually speaking to us every day and wanting to lead us. So be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46.10 is really uh, an important verse for this morning. Most of us are not good at listening, though we think we are. Most of us are not good at listening because to be a good listener, we have to be intentionally working on that in blocking out other noise, other thoughts, other ideas, and, and really focusing on what God is saying. Quite, quite literally, we are occupied with other voices that are in, dwelling in our lives. And our, our inner lives can become like an echo chamber of thoughts and feelings and ideas instead of quietly listening to God. The, uh, what's needed is an eviction, an eviction of other voices, other presence, so that we can actually listen to God's word. In fact, uh, a few months ago when we were in chapter Romans tw- uh, chapter 12 and we were talking about the metamorphosis we had a picture of that in that theme of that little caterpillar that that before he goes into that period of silence and solitude in the cocoon he has this incredible voracious season of eating gorging himself getting ready and that's the idea of giving thought and focus to the word of god before you observe your time of silence and solitude so that indeed the the voices and the the content, the material that your inner life has to work with is something that's set upon God. And so for for the Christian, the word of God is something that we should let dwelling in us richly. And uh, let your spirit be refreshed. Let the word of God wash over you. Fill your mind with God's word as you get ready to spend some time ruminating on it in presence of God. A.W. Tozer has written that, uh, and this was long before social media and internet, A.W. Tozer said, we Christians must simplify our lives or lose untold treasures on earth and in eternity. Modern civilization is so complex, 
so complex as to make the devotional life all but impossible. The need for solitude and quietness was never greater than it is today. Wow, this is a man that lived quite a while ago before some of the onslaught of the voices that we have harassing us daily. This past couple of weeks, Pat and I had a chance to listen to or watch a documentary called My Octopus Teacher. And I'm not sure if you've seen that, but it's an incredibly interesting uh, documentary about a man by the name of Craig Foster who found silence and solitude by diving into a kelp uh, portion of the, the ocean south, in South Africa. And he increased his powers of observation as he began to focus on one octopus. And for, for one whole year, 365 days, he went down into that cold ocean and he spent time with an octopus. And of course, he had to come up for air, and then he'd go back down, and he increased his lung capacity. And it's incredible, this, this documentary. I would commend it to you. It made me think of Jesus' words when he would say in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, consider the lilies, or consider the sparrows. He could have said, consider the octopus. It's the powers of observation that this man developed. And in the process of slowing down, of having silence and solitude in that environment of a kelp forest under the ocean floor, at the ocean floor, he actually started to figure out some of his own issues in life as well. Now, I'm not saying he's a Christian and so on, but, but there's something here that reminds us of the need for silence and solitude. Many examples in the scriptures. I've chosen four that I want to share with you this morning because they resonate with me and how I have found silence and solitude to be helpful in my life. And so I want to demonstrate those four. The first one is Jacob, who has to do the theme there is the formation of our own faith comes in silence and solitude. The second one is Moses. And we see that God in Moses' life used silence and solitude to align his calling and his purpose in life. The third one is Elijah, because Elijah needed a check on reality. Maybe you need that. Maybe that's God's agenda for your appointment with him this week. And then finally, there's Jesus himself, who, of course, shows us the incredible intimacy of an encounter with the Father before we get into some of these, I want to say that I've made this intentionally to be an acronym that shows FACE, if you look at that. And I did that to help me remember it, but also to help us remind ourselves that any point in having time alone in silence and solitude with the Father God is for the point of, of seeking His face. It is, it, is, it is a God encounter. It must be. And for the Christian, we know that. Before we go into these four different characters in the Bible, I want to just share three things about things that you know, but I'm going to just reiterate them. The first one is that as Christians, we remind ourselves that we're never alone. So you go and you talk about solitude, but we know we are never alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We know that solitude for us is really an, an appointment with God. That's what solitude is. Someone said, loneliness expresses the pain of being alone. Solitude expresses the glory of being alone. And as Christians, we can understand that. Secondly, we must know ourselves and we must seek balance between solitude and community. Some of you are more lean, more lean to one and some of you lean to the other. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, let him who is much in community beware of solitude or pursue solitude and let him who is much alone beware of being in community or pursue community. We need to have balance there. And then finally, I want you to know that the goal of, of silence and solitude must be a listening heart. Like Samuel the boy in the temple, he said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's the goal of our time in silence and solitude. Oswald Chambers said that solitude with God repairs the damage done by the fret and noise and clamor of the world. So I really hope that uh, you will take maybe one of these four characters that I'm going to talk about and that you might use it as some of your fodder, your material for your time with God this week. Let's start. Let's take a look at Jacob. We'll go to chapter 28 in Genesis, and we find Jacob... In chapter 28 of Genesis and verse 16, we find that Jacob arrives at a time and a place, and he says this about the time and place. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Now, isn't that an incredible thing for a patriarch of our faith to say? Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. Jacob, who should have known God better by this time in his life, was actually quite ignorant of God. It shows in his actions, in his demeanor. And he ends up at this place called Bethel. He, he names it Bethel, because it's with me, which means the house of God, because he found God in this place. And he had not known it when he arrived there. And this encounter with God took place because why? Because Jacob was running away from Esau, his brother, who was trying to kill him because he had stolen the blessing of his father. You know the story. Perhaps many of us could say the same thing that Jacob says. Uh, God is in this place, and I should have known it. I should have known I should be closer to God than than I am. Maybe that describes you. And perhaps the reason you're not closer to God is you haven't taken enough time on a regular basis for silence and solitude. And maybe it is also like Jacob that you carry around a lot of noise in your head and heart about past conflicts, past things that are unresolved, just like Jacob with Esau at this point in his life. That you're carrying around a lot of stuff and you can't hear the voice of God because of the noise of unresolved conflict, of things that you're carrying with you, never subsiding long enough to recognize God with us. But when we slow down, we might have that encounter with God that brings a formation to our own personal faith as it did in Jacob's life. In Jacob's life, in chapter 28, he decides he's going to re- commit his life to God, this God that his father had told him about. He's going to recommit to that God. And we can do the same. We can make any place at all our Bethel, uh, our house of God. So that's where we see Jacob in chapter 28. I want you to go now to Genesis chapter 32, if you have your Bibles. And we see another time and place when Jacob met up with God alone in silence and solitude. This time it's instead of running from his brother Esau, he's actually walking toward his brother Esau. God has now prepared his heart. God has gotten him ready. He's afraid still, but he's ready to face the music of his past and of that conflict. In verse 24 of Genesis 32, it says, and Jacob was left alone. We read of his wrestling with God. 
We read of how he hangs on to God until God blesses him. That's why God gave him the new name. Instead of Jacob, from now on, you're going to be called Israel. What does Israel mean? Israel means fighter with God. That's what Israel means. Because he had wrestled with God until he had gotten the blessing from God. He named that place Peniel because he had seen the face of God. Face of God. That was an encounter, intimate encounter with God. And Jacob could never be the same after this. We realize that Jacob could never be the same. Not only spiritually had this been a reference point in his life and his formation of his own faith, but he actually left walking with a limp on his hip, and he could never be the same physically. It's not unlike God to, to use something in the physical realm of our lives to teach us a lesson about the spiritual realm of our lives. God is always trying to get through to us of some spiritual lessons. And so as long as Jacob lived his life on earth, he had that limp that reminded him of his dependency on God because Jacob had a tendency to just take life into his own hands. And so we see in Jacob's case the, this, the lesson of formation of our faith. We do not need to be defined by our past failures, our conflicts. We do not need to live in fear of future unresolved conflicts yet to be landing, yet to be brought peace at peace, but rather with the awareness of God's presence, having wrestled with God in prayer, we can have peace to face the future. And faith is formed as we wrestle alone with God in prayer. Not your parents' faith, not the church's faith, not the faith you get from the pastor on a Sunday morning, your own personal encounter with God in wrestling through things with him in silence and solitude. That's what God wants for you and I. You might want to spend some time alone this week to reflect on what God is using in your physical world to form and reform your faith in him. Let's move on to Moses. And I'm, I, I would encourage you to fast forward with me from Jacob 500 years, and as we look at Moses, we, we open the book of Exodus now. And in the book of Exodus, we find in, in chapter 1 and 2 that Israel are slaves in a land called Egypt. And there are cruel taskmasters that are making their life miserable. And in chapter 2, we meet a little baby that is born. His name is Moses. Now, Moses is not ready to be the leader of Israel and to take on God's assignment yet. He grows up in Pharaoh's court as the prince of Egypt, but he's not ready yet to lead the Hebrew people. And so he has a, an encounter in the wilderness with God. Someone said that Moses, who lived to be 120 years old, spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody, the second 40 years of his life thinking he was a nobody, and the third 40 years of his life believing that God could use anybody. And that is the story of Moses' life. In this scripture, in chapter 3 of Exodus, we find that this, this Moses, prince of Egypt, finds himself on the backside of a desert wilderness taking care of a few miserable sheep from his father Jethro, his father-in-law. And there he is, and he notices a strange thing happening over 
to the one side and he notices that it's a bush that is burning, but this bush is not getting consumed. And so he walks over to see what is going on, this thing. He gets close enough and he hears God speak his name twice. Moses, Moses. By the way, that's That happens seven times in Scripture when God says someone's name twice. If you can tell me the other six, I will give you a free book. (laughs) No time limit either. You can do it as long as you need to. Moses, Moses, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. So Moses takes off his sandals and God tells him, that he's got a new assignment in life, that he intends for him to go back to Egypt, that God has heard the crying of his people in slavery, and he's raising up Moses to go back and lead them out. And Moses argues with God. He talks back to God. He says, no, 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 you got the wrong guy, God. He gives God the old who am I speech. And this assignment that God is giving Moses does not find alignment in Moses' plans. But God overrules. And God reminds Moses that it's not about him. That he doesn't get to choose the assignment. God does. God had a life-altering calling for Moses and he had to hear God speak. And Moses had to learn in solitude that God would take care of his fears and his speech impediment and his insecurities and and all the what-ifs, Pharaoh does that or this or the other thing. God was bigger than that. What Moses had to learn was that it wasn't about him. It was about God. It was about God's people. I remember hearing a story about a little boy who was having a birthday party, and his older brother wasn't very happy about this birthday party. And he would whine. He'd say, why do we have to have that cake? And he would whine, why is that the theme of the birthday? And finally his mother takes this older brother aside and puts her hands around his cheeks and looks him in the eye and says, your brother wants that cake. Your brother likes that theme. This is not about you. (laughs) I picture God reaching his big arms down to Moses, grabbing him by the face and saying, Moses, it's not about you. Maybe God needs to do that to you sometimes. You see, you'll never find God's assignment and you'll never get aligned with God if you think you're the main actor in the narrative of your life. If you don't realize that you are a best supporting actor and God has the main role and he has a whole bunch of other supporting actors that are in the narrative, you will miss God's best for your life. You'll miss it. God is writing a bigger story than Moses here. Folks, you know it. You've read it, the book of Exodus. God's writing a bigger story in your life and if you just keep in the things that you think you're comfortable with, you're not going to see what God has to write. God could have to make things a little more difficult in order for you to desire to be aligned with his assignment. G. Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, Every person's ego functions like a predator that stealthily approaches everybody else as prey. Prey. 
that they can pull into their center and, 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 and force them to be actors in their story. Isn't that true? You know, we see ourselves as the center, main actor. Everybody else, we just pull into our center to, to fulfill our lives. The human heart has got that tendency, folks. Your heart does, too. And you will not follow the best plan for your life that God has if you're not in tune with God. Maybe this week in silence and solitude, God wants to take you to a deeper intimacy where you're willing to let go of the thoughts you had for life and to pursue his assignment. There's deeper intimacy with Moses later on in his life. If you'll look at Exodus chapter 33, we meet a very different Moses This is right after the golden calf incident when Israel disobeyed God and Moses begins to intercede. And this this shows us that by now Moses is totally invested in God's assignment. It's incredible, the difference in Moses. In verses 12 to 23, we get a sneak peek into the prayer closet of silence and solitude with God that he has in the tent of meeting. And Moses says to God, if your presence doesn't go with us from this place, then don't send us up from here. Do you know what God's, Moses is saying here? He's saying, from now on, God, it's not, it's not what you give that matters. It's you that matters, God. If your presence doesn't go, I don't want to go anywhere. In fact, we're convinced of this later on as in verse 18, he says finally, Moses says to God, show me your glory. You see, Moses now wants God more than he wants what God can give. And that's because he's come to a point of intimacy, deepening intimacy and a realignment of his life with God's purposes. Well, let's move along to Elijah and Elijah I chose, uh, by the way, we fast forward about 650 years now in biblical history, and we open our books, our Bibles, to the book of 1 Kings. And in 1 Kings, we meet up one of the favorite prophets of God. His name is Elijah. And Elijah is taking on the prophets of Baal. You know this story, that the evil king Ahab and Jezebel are uh, supporting Now, of course, it's the God of light and truth against the gods of darkness and falsehood. Who's going to win? Well, we know who's going to win. And and, and there's Elijah, and he's he's full of God confidence. You you remember the story how he, he mocks the prophets of Baal to call down fire. Well, God wins the day, and all of those prophets of Baal, they're gotten rid of, and and all of a sudden, when Jezebel hears about what's happened, she, she puts a death threat on, on Elijah. This confident Elijah now is running in fear for his life. He runs into the wilderness. We read in the scriptures that he sits down under a tree. 1 Kings chapter 19, in verse 4, he's afraid, he's discouraged, he's exhausted. He sits down under a tree and he wants to die. He says to God, in essence, take me home, I'm ready to go. I don't want any more of this, God. But God's not done with Elijah. In fact, God knows that Elijah is not seeing life properly. He needs a reality check. He really does. And that's one of the purposes of silence and solitude is you finally get alone with God. You stop listening to some of the crazy voices, the noise, and God can give you a reality check. Elijah has gotten himself all worked up 
with an overinflated view of his own role as the prophet of God, to the neglect of his own physical well-being and his emotional well-being and even his social well-being. He's a loner at this stage of his life. He saw himself as so indispensable. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5, what does the angel of God do? Gives him something to eat, gives him something to drink, and makes him have some sleep. That's verse 5. What is happening in verse 6? Elijah eats, drinks, sleeps. What is happening in verse 7? Eats, drinks. <laughs> the guy's exhausted. And three times, God leads him to just get refreshed physically. Maybe that's something God's going to say to you in your time alone with him. It's just, what are you doing to yourself? Why do you think you're so indispensable? You need to get some rest. You need to figure it out. And so, I read a book recently by uh, Christopher Ashe. It was called Zeal Without Burnout. Uh, Elijah's burnt out here. You know, it wasn't a word back in his day, but it is in this day. He was burnt out. But he had, he, he had himself to blame. God never required more of him. In this book by Christopher Ashe, he says, the foundation of everything I have to say to you is that we are dust. That's how he starts. All right, it doesn't start, the second chapter, he, he says that. He says, the foundation of everything I have to say about burnout is to remember, you're dust, and to dust you shall return. You're all indispensable, you're, you're all dispensable, you're all replaceable, you're not the only person that can do what you do, etc., and so on. And we will all be replaced. After Elijah had recovered a little bit, he takes a longer journey, he ends up at Mount Horeb, he finds a cave, he hides in the cave, God comes to the cave, God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah's response is the same old poor me soliloquy, you know, I'm the only one, and they're, you know, they killed all the rest, and they're trying to kill me now, oh, poor me. God shows him a little lesson on power. God takes him to the edge of the cave, and he sends a strong gale force wind, but God was not in the wind. The next thing he sends is God sends an earthquake that shakes up the ground underneath his feet, but God's not in the earthquake. Next thing he does is he, he sends fire that consumes everything around him, but God was not in the fire. And then finally there's this little whisper that he hears. Elijah hears a whisper in the cave, a still small voice. And he got up because he knew it was the voice of God. What was God teaching Elijah? He was teaching him that in silence and solitude will be your strength. God doesn't need all kinds of powerful things to have happening. If you and I would learn the lesson that Elijah was being taught here. Now, God asked Elijah again after this, what are you doing here? And he went again into the same spiel, but God interrupted him this time, and he said, no, you're going home. Go back home. And then he, he gave him the order. He said, I've got 7,000 besides you that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one. 7,000 more in Israel. And one of them is a guy named Elisha who is going to be your successor. Go on, find him, and start training him. And by the way, 
that Jezebel that you're so afraid of, she's going to be dead soon. And guess what I'm going to do with Ahab? He's going to, tur- he's going to repent. He's going to turn. He's going to join the good guys. So I've got this all in hand. Don't worry. <laughs> Incredible story. You see, Elijah needed a reality check. And he's not going to get it if he just keeps on the treadmill of his life. You might need a reality check. But you're not going to get it if you, unless you slow down, start listening to what God has for you. And of course, now if we fast forward another 850 years from Elijah, we come to the time of Christ. Jesus, of course, shows us the the purpose of silence and solitude in the best way because it was always about intimacy with the Father. And we see it over and over again. The Gospels all talk about it. Matthew 14, 23, Jesus dismissed the crowds. Where did he go? He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Mark 1, 35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Luke 4.42, and when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. Have you ever noticed that all four of the people that I've talked about, there's a wilderness involved. There's a desolate place. There's a, a, a solitude, a place of solitude. Where, where do you find that? I don't know where you're going to find it this week. And it says in Luke 4.42 that the people sought Jesus and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns as well. Jesus found God's assignment for him in his quietness with the Father. And he left the needs of that town to go to another town. You might need to leave some very good things in your life in order to find the best thing that God has for you. We see Jesus in the wilderness alone being tempted by the enemy but pressing into God and his word. We see Jesus alone praying in the early mornings up on the mountains. We see Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee all by himself at night in the dark talking to the Father. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the the eve before his death while his friends are sleeping alone with the Father pressing into God. Jesus kept vigil with the Father on an ongoing basis, practiced the presence of the Father in a way that no human ever had or has since then. We see glimpses into the Son of God, and these glimpses help us realize what gave Jesus the resolve to face the cross and to be rejected by the Father. Where all of this Lent is going, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And so in this time coming up, I wonder if God has something for you in this Lent experience. The challenge that you have this week has been given is to just spend an hour in silence and solitude. Don't make your time just a reading time. Don't don't let just a book fill your time and listen to one voice of some author. Don't do that. Learn to listen. Also, Bring a journal. Maybe write down some of your thoughts and your prayers, the thoughts that come to mind. When you sit in silence, what are the thoughts that come to mind? Journal them. Write them down. Why would you think that not filling your mind with something, that automatically somehow you're leaving yourself open to evil 
If you're a temple of the Holy Spirit and God's Spirit is wanting to speak to you about something for an agenda in your life, why can't God the Spirit fill the silence in your life? And then check that message with what God is saying. Listen. Be honest when you talk back to God. Tell him your fears and your, your thoughts. The, the uh, material that has been given to us by Eric Ferris has said check out these themes of God, of you, of sin, of the cross, these are good things to be thinking about in your time alone, but you might also want to take a walk as you do this, because I don't know about you, but I, I took a walk every morning these last two weeks, just because uh, that's when I did my thinking and reflecting and so on. But maybe one of these four Bible characters is going to form the agenda for your time alone with God this week. Maybe one of them resonated with you more than others. So if that's the case, then I would encourage you to just, just open up your Bible to that person's life and read and think and let God speak to you further lessons. Maybe it has to do your time of silence and solitude. Maybe it has to do with the formation of your faith. There's a critical turning point that's happening in your faith. What is it that's going on? Or it might have to do with an alignment of, of the calling that God's given you in your life. This season of life that you've entered is different than the last season of life. What is, what is God saying to you about this season? Or maybe it has to do with a, a reality check. Maybe you just need to wake up to, to realize that, you know, you're not indispensable. and that, that you shouldn't have an overinflated view of the role you play. God can meet you in that role. Take time with him. Or perhaps it's a simple encounter of intimacy with God the Father like we see in Jesus. Let me pray for us as we get ready this week to enjoy some good time in silence and solitude with God. And Father, now as we come to you, I pray for all of us, all of us in this room, all of us listening online. God, you know that there are so many distractions, cell phones and computers and jobs and demands and and lord you know that it is it, it is hard to fight for this time of focus but i ask you to help us and and lord even even before any one of us get to that hour alone with you before even we get there may you by your spirit put on our minds a little bit of the agenda of what you want us to be thinking about in silence and solitude, in time with you. Father, would you make this a, an intimacy with you that many of us haven't had for a while. Lord, just a real closeness, seeking your face, knowing you, God. Oh, Father, thank you that you love us, that you're already pursuing us. God, that you're already in that place waiting for us. And Lord, we wanna meet with you this week. And may we be like that little boy Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you again to stand with us as we respond in worship. Our Father, any place that we could possibly go 
anywhere that we could be. In that place it is true that God is in this place with us. Because of your son Jesus. And we recognize in this season leading up to Easter all these different things that we're focusing on. Really it's about positioning ourselves to explore you more, to be more aware of you, and to know you better. And so God, I pray that you would help us with that. And we know that there would be no experience to pursue, there would be no relationship to have if it wasn't for Jesus, who opened up the door for us, that through faith, because he died on the cross for our sin, we can have relationship with you forever. I thank you that that is always true. And as we go into this week, and as we think about solitude, Lord, I pray that you would give us the opportunity to sit with you and to listen to you. Lord, forgive us for all of the ways that we, we fight against that. And just the idea of silence gets us turning on TVs and phones and, and all the different kinds of distractions that we have. It's hard for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would just allow us to rest and to hear what you want us to hear. And if it is that you are whittling away at something in us, working on us, if it is that there is a reality check for us to be, be taught. I pray that you would open our hearts for that, knowing that we're in such good hands, that you are for us, and you love us, and that you want to grow us to know more and more joy in you. Thank you for your presence in our life, Thank you for the reality of what you've done for us to know you. Thank you for how you continue to mold us into your image. We are completely yours. I pray that you bless us, my church family, all of these people here and online, and draw us closer to your heart, where peace and joy really is. Thank you for meeting us here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody have a wonderful day.